Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant of truth-proclaiming, truth-defending, Bible-believing Christians who are truly ambassadors for Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. I just want to say thank you. What an outstanding week last week. Um, and I know we don't. We try not to focus on the numbers here when it comes to the podcast, but being shadow banned on social media and having no outlets really to get the word out about what we're doing, you guys do it. And we had record numbers last week on the five-day average, Monday through Friday, of listeners and those who shared or downloaded the podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I also want to shout out to our friends at Harbinger's Daily, who are this a great news source. If you want to check them out, if you've never gone to Harbinger's Daily, World News, biblically understood, Harbinger's Daily. They're very supportive of Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Also, thank you to Red Pill Prince. They approached us and said, hey, we want to help with our, our talents and our business uh, making products for your podcast. It won't cost you anything. And they've been true to their word. It's unbelievable that, that this is God's favor. So we want to direct you to that site. They've got T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, um, coffee mug. We'll stand up for the Truth podcast on it. So check that out. We've got a link at the top of our website that says merch. That'll take you to Red pillprints.com. They have a, a page dedicated to Stand Up For The Truth on their website. And they're from Canada, Christian family, so God bless them. Um, shout out to our f- new friends in Nebraska tuning in and listening, and uh, we just appreciate all you guys. So I can't wait to catch up with one of my favorite Patriot pastors. It's He probably runs you know neck and neck with Pastor Paul Blair at Fairview Baptist Church, Edmond, Oklahoma. I was there a year and a half ago. But uh, Dan Fisher is with us today, and boy, guys, we're going to catch up on a lot of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dan is the co-pastor there at Fairview Baptist Church, and uh, he, while serving as a full-time pastor, if we go back several years, he served two terms in the Oklahoma legislature. Uh-oh, already we know we're ruffling feathers. We're, we're mixing faith and politics, right? Religion and politics. So uh, he also ran for governor in Oklahoma. He travels the country presenting Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment, which we will talk about today just a little bit for our newer listeners who have no idea what that is. And uh, really, let me just describe it. It's a multimedia production. You can see it online at libertypastors.com. He tells the amazing true story of 18th century patriot pastors who led their congregations and their communities to fight for liberty in America's War of Independence. True stories. So uh, that's what he does. Um, Also... We discuss equipping today. We're going to get into what, how do pastors today, with all that's going on in our world since COVID, even BC they weren't doing it. Even before COVID, they weren't. Many pastors were not equipping the saints. They were avoiding Bible prophecy. They were avoiding the Old Testament. They were not training godly men. But now times have changed. We've got to be ready, friends. We've got to be discerning. And as Jesus said, watch. So before I bring in Dan, um, I, I would really want to pray. We need help with this today. Father in heaven, thank you for allowing us to talk about things, these things that matter. And Lord, I really, it's my desire that people be encouraged in their faith, but informed at the same time, and that they will not fear, that they will resist fear in anything that's happening in our country, in our culture, around the world, wars, rumors of wars. Lord, this is all biblical, it's prophetic. God, give us that eternal perspective that we need today as we kick off a new week. And God, increase our faith in the name of Jesus. Help us to discern the times and be ready to be ambassadors and to fight the good fight of faith. We love you. Speak to our hearts today. Guide this conversation, Holy Spirit. We rely on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Dan Fisher, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Hey, David, it's good to be with you. Uh, Well, I'm so blessed to have you back on. We've been trying to connect for so long, but I want to start off... We've got a lot of new listeners, praise God, since the last time you were on. So they have not heard uh, your background. Um, so I don't know if you want to start with uh, Liberty Pastors or 
what you've been doing there at Fairview Baptist Church. Sure. Let me first tell you that uh, you ought to wear that being shadow band as a badge of honor. But if you're if you're not making the devil's crowd mad, you're not doing much. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yep, we are. Oops. Well, good for you. Good for you. Yeah, sure. So let me just very quickly step through kind of who I am and why I, what I do. Um, you know, I started preaching when I was 16. I'll, I'll turn 63 in August, so I've been at it a long time, and I've been uh, vocational in the ministry since I was 22, and I've pastored some some fairly large churches, and um, for the last three years, working on year four now, we merged part of my congregation that I was uh, I was pastoring with uh, Paul Blair's church there in Edmond, which is just north of Oklahoma City. I live out west of Oklahoma City, and he and I have been working together for years, and we've always believed that you cannot compartmentalize your your life into the sacred and the secular. We we believe that to the Christian, everything is holy, and we do everything as unto the Lord. And so we've always believed that Christians ought to engage. In fact, Daniel Webster said, what makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. Amen. And by the look of most Christians, we're, we're not very good Christians because we're lousy citizens. Mm. So. We've always taught this, and in about 2007, I heard about the Black Regiment, or the Black Road Regiment, as we call it, and I didn't know who in the world they were. I thought, well, God, the only people I know that wear robes are judges, <laughs> and then I discovered it was the preachers of the 18th century, and it turns out that we didn't just have a lot of Christian influence in our founding and framing. We actually had preachers who were serving in the Continental Congress, preachers who were serving in, like, Virginia House of Burgesses, and all the different bodies of government, they believe that they had an obligation under God to not just pastor their congregations, but pastor their communities. Mm-hmm. And they they were fighting, trying to stop the British from, uh, you know, invading their rights. And finally, they realized that they, they, they couldn't do anything else. And so they declared their independence. And uh, the, the war broke out, as you know, and many of these pastors recruited men from their churches and men from their communities and let them out on the battlefield and fought. And, you know, we could go into the details of it, but uh, I didn't know anything about this history. And it mm-hmm. turns out that like when Paul Revere makes his famous ride um, on, on uh, April the 18th, 1775, when he rides into Lexington, Massachusetts, he rides up to the preacher's house because Jonas Clark had been training and was helping to lead the Lexington Minutemen. And the next day, when the Battle of Lexington occurs, Jonas Clark was there leading that effort. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the, that afternoon in Concord, there was a preacher named William Emerson that was up on Barrett Hill with the Continental Militia, and he's encouraging them to stand, and if we're going to die, let's die here. And I mean, it could just go on and on and on. Peter Muhlenberg was a, a Lutheran, and he pastored over in Woodstock, Virginia, and he became uh, part of General Washington's staff, and by the time the war was over, was promoted to major general, and, and he was a preacher. I mean, just over and over and over. And this is the piece of history that I think the Church desperately needs to hear, Yes, because men of God have always been willing to defend liberty. And if you go all the way back to Abraham, when the evil kings captured Lot and his family, what did Abraham do? Well, he didn't have a prayer meeting. I'm sure he prayed, but what he did is he called together his skilled warriors, and he went and fought a battle to free Lot, his nephew. And he, you know, he won the battle, as most folks know in Scripture. And to show you how God felt about it, on his way back home, uh, the priest Melchizedek, that in the book of Hebrews, uh, Christ is compared to Melchizedek, actually blesses Abraham from God because of the strong stand he took for justice and truth. So mm-hmm. this is not just a little blip on the radar. Men of, uh, and women of God have been standing up for centuries, and the only reason we have a, a, a free republic today is because of the leadership of the pastors. And so the British called them the Black Regiment um, because they all preached in black robes. It didn't matter what denomination they were. They all wore black robes when they preached. And they consider these preachers public enemy number one, and if they if they captured a preacher on the battlefield, they would either execute them right on the spot, even when they were trying to surrender, or they'd throw them on a prison ship where they faced a, a drawn-out, uh, horrible death, being starved to death on those prison ships. And so th- this, is the, this is the story that I go and I act out, 
in period costume with all the multimedia, as you mentioned, and some of the actual relics from our war muskets that we know the soldiers' names that carried them, like at Bunker Hill and the Battle of Trenton, New Jersey, and, you know, on and on and on. So we believe that the church helped to birth liberty in America. Yes. But if the pulpit doesn't re-engage, the, the modern pulpit's going to help to bury liberty in, in North America. That's right. So that's why we think this is so important. It is what you just said. Uh, it, we have not fought to preserve our freedom, our religious liberties, and part no. of that falls on the pulpits, and we've talked about this yes, before on the podcast. Um, Oklahoma, I've, there's just a, a, a really a, a, a lot of godly men out there, more conservatives running for offices there. That's one of the states that uh, I believe you guys have been working on for years, um, just going in the right direction. But it's, it's going to come, a lot of this is going to come down to states' rights because there's such a tyrannical That's push exactly now right. from the federal government. I think you said in yeah. your sermon, um, a recent sermon, that uh, you think Canada, their government, is that the, what they're doing up there with Trudeau. Do you think our government, the and you said the O'Biden administration, yeah. if, if you don't yeah. think they would try to do some of the th- same things if they could get away with it, then uh, you're mistaken. But I absolutely oh. agree with you. Um, yeah. So yeah, go ahead. The reason I slipped and called him O'Biden is because I really believe that uh, former President Obama is, I think, the one driving the train. Mm. I don't think uh, Joe Biden uh, is... Uh, normally cognizant enough to do all this stuff and to think it up. Now, I I think at times he has moments of clarity, and I think they prop him up with drugs and all kinds of stuff to keep him as fluid as they possibly can. But obviously there's someone behind the scenes driving this thing. But, yeah, I believe, David, that we keep willingly surrendering our liberties, and, and we're headed for a similar kind of experience that the Canadians have, even though their government is is slightly different than ours, it's based on individual liberty and representative government. But where was the representative government when, uh, you know, Prime Minister uh, Trudeau seized the bank accounts of these truckers, called them terrorists, and and had their insurance canceled and and all this kind of stuff? And and that's kind of where we're headed with this great reset, not just in Canada, but all over the world. And this is why recently, I believe it was the 13th of March, I I preached a sermon on the ESG uh, social credit scores that that are coming our way. And and the church has to to stand against these things, or we're going to be driven underground, David, because Mm -hmm. we all saw in the early days of this COVID fakery, uh, even though the the disease was real, it was not really what they said it was. Mm -hmm. And we now know that the government is admitting that they fudged the numbers and that these, all of these mitigations that they were making us do actually don't work and, and all of this stuff. Yeah. But notice who they down. You could go to Walmart. You could go to Lowe's. You could go to Home Depot. You could go get an abortion. Yep. You could do all these things, but don't you dare go to church because that's where that virus hangs out. It likes the church house. And so you go to church and you're going to get COVID for sure. Well, to me, it tipped their hand. They're after the gospel. It's, it's, it's not very difficult to see. You don't have to be a political scientist or a theologian to see it. They've always been wanting to silence the church, and, and that's why pastors being engaged and bringing their people up to date on these things is so critical. We're talking to Dan Fisher today. By the way, his website, you can check that out. It is uh, Bringing Back the Black Robe Regiment, Dan Fisher, B-R-R. Dot com And you can get the DVD. We will link to that in today's podcast post. You can see the presentation of the Black Robe Regiment and, and the history that he shares as he travels. Um, you brought it up, Dan. We're also going to talk about Romans 13 in your book called yeah, sure. Unlimited Submission? Question <laughs> mark. That's your book. Yes. So we'll talk about that yeah. in a minute. But you brought up the ESG scores. The environmental, social, governance. I would bet that even our listeners who I believe are more informed than the average Christian might not have heard about this. Is this the same as uh, uh, credit score, social credit scores, or is it different? And how does this work? ESG scores. Yeah, no, it, it's exactly the same. Uh, folks might be a little more familiar with the social credit scores in China. Mm-hmm. You know, in China, under the communist regime, they have initiated this social credit score where if you don't ha- have a high enough score, you, you can't ride public transit or, or you can't borrow money or you can't do this or you can't do that. 
and they base it upon what you believe and, and what you say and, and how submissive you are. Well, uh, the World Economic Forum that meets in Davos uh, has been kind of wargaming all of these global controls for years, and they, they've been tipping their their hand. They've been letting us know it because when they're interviewed, they talk about this this new world order and how we need to come together and global uh, governance. I mean, you know, it's obvious if, if we really look and, and we understand the lingo, but what is happening with this ESG scores is in, in America, our government could never deny someone their unalienable rights because they are not, uh, well, in, in their words, environmentally friendly enough, their carbon footprint is too large, or uh, get a low social credit score because they go down to the uh, school board meeting and complain about the crud that their kids are being taught, or they say something negative about the Biden administration. So the government knows this. So what they've been doing is they've been working with many of these private corporations. Now, we're talking large corporations, mm. corporations like BlackRock. They are the largest asset management uh, company in the world. They, they control over $7 trillion, with a T, dollars, or Merrill Lynch, or Capital Group. All of these large corporations that actually loan money to the banks. Mm. And they've been working on these ESG scores for years. And basically, what it is, is you'll be graded based upon your stand on environmental concerns, on social justice. Now, when they say social justice, they don't mean what the Bible means. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mean, do you, uh, do you uh, stand on the mark that the communists, uh, the leftists, ha- have decided is social justice, right. BLM, Black Lives Matter, and all that kind of stuff. And then you'll be graded on your, your position in government. Are, are you one who believes in big, powerful central government? Or are you one, like you mentioned a while ago, believes in strong state governments? Mm-hmm. And if you are that person, you're going to get a low governance score. So in the end, what corporations are doing right now, you can go to their websites and look at their positions on ESG. They're calling people like you and me investment risks. Wow. And so what's going to happen is the government is going to force us through private corporations that they're actually in bed with to do their bidding, and they can shut us down, David. So, for instance, let's just say that you believe in the unalienable right to own firearms to defend yourself for whatever reason. Well, what they'll do is the government can't come get your guns, but what they can do is behind the scenes put pressure on these large insurance companies to say, you know, we understand you own a lot of firearms, and that's just too big of an investment risk for us. Someone could be killed accidentally with those guns. We're just going to have to cancel your homeowner's policy because these these guns, they're just a big problem. Wow. Or, you know, I noticed that you're a preacher, and we've looked at some of your message postings, and you're, you're not environmentally concerned. You don't care about the carbon footprint. You're pro-fossil fuels. And many of these groups are already, David, starting to put pressure on oil-producing companies that if you have um, any involvement with fossil fuels, uh, you're going to get a low uh, e-score. And so eventually these large companies are not going to be able to get money from groups like BlackRock and other large banks. So in essence, the government working with these private corporations are going to take away our rights. And it's going to happen, and we're not even going to know who, who did it or why. And all of a sudden, you're going to have a low SG score, and you're going to be in trouble. So, uh, Pastor Dan Fisher, you're saying that it's not just the government. These are pr- corporations that are starting to implement some of these things. Well, that's doing it. See, the government, these lefties, we sometimes think that they're dumb. These people are as dumb as a fox. They're not dumb at all. Mm-hmm. And they've been working on this for years, David, and, and, and you had guests on your program talking about the whole globalist movement and all that's going on behind the scenes. Yes. But this World Economic Forum is all the big-time leaders that we would all recognize, people like Bill Gates and George Soros and people like that. But then there's probably folks that we would not recognize their name that may actually be even more powerful than those big names that we know. And they are convinced that the way to get everything under control is to get control of people's finances. Because, you know, if you freeze someone's bank account where you can't go borrow money to buy a house, David, or you can't buy a car, 
or you, you can't ride public transit, or you couldn't fly on an airplane. And see, we've seen uh, little experiments with these vaccine passports. Mm. This this idea that the airlines are saying, well, it's not us, it's the government. Well, the government never actually passed a law that said airlines have to force you to wear a mask or to uh, present a vaccine passport. These companies took it upon themselves, claiming that the government was forcing them this so it's it's a it's a public private marriage mm. that is literally from hell <laughs> if we don't begin to stand up against this and inform our people then eventually we're going to be backed into a corner and, and i don't know what we're going to do because if they cancel your account like they did the truckers in canada and all they have to do david is call you a terrorist and i can tell you right now you've already said enough things that you qualify in their definition as a terrorist oh absolutely you're going to have a low ESG score, and they'll shut David Ferrazzo down. They'll just they'll just shut your bank account down. You won't be able to do business. Well, what are you going to do then? Hmm. These things are and coming. That's how serious this is. Yes, yes. We're speaking with Pastor Dan Fisher. We have to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about proclaiming the truth and equipping the saints and a little bit more about the Black Robed Regiment, but we're also going to talk about his book, Unlimited Submission, how Romans 13 the first five verses have been incorrectly used to silence the church. And also, when we come back, we'll talk about what uh, they do, a little video called Riding the Storm Out to help pastors. More on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth. With David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Pastor Dan Fisher, Fairview Baptist Church, Edmond, Oklahoma. And I want to mention, uh, because of the conference I went to that he is a part of, Liberty Pastors, I was able to meet so many godly men, bold leaders in their churches, in their states, from different parts of the country. And we've had many of them on this podcast. You would probably know Stephen Broden, who we had last week, Steve Smotherman. We've had him on. He's one of our guests, really. I mean, our listeners really like him, one of their favorite guests. Uh, Dr. James Taylor will be on this Friday. Uh, Alex Newman speaks at a lot of those uh, Liberty Pastors conferences. We've had him on for years. By the way, friends, he will be with us tomorrow. But uh, I want to give you an opportunity, Dan, to just share about riding the storm out and your decision, you and Paul, to now send this out weekly to try to equip and encourage pastors. Yeah, well, you know, that was birthed out of these Liberty Pastor boot camps that we do. Oh, about four or five years ago, Paul and I began to realize that just telling these guys about the history is not enough. Hmm. For some who are self-starters, it may be, but a lot of the guys say, okay, great, now what do I do? How do I become a black robe preacher in my church? I don't know the first steps to take. So we put together uh, these boot camps that we're doing literally all over the country where we kind of teach the nuts and bolts of how to be a black robe, a modern black robe preacher uh, in your own church from your own pulpit. And uh, to this point, David, we've trained well over a thousand pastors mm, in God. these camps all over, literally all over the country. And one of the things that was birthed out of that was this weekly podcast that we do. And what we try to do is take current issues and share with the pastors so they can kind of take this and somehow infuse it or incorporate it into their messages. I mean, obviously, we're not going to tell them what to preach or how to preach, but many of the guys just don't have a handle on some of these things, and so we're trying to help them out a little bit. In fact, that's why I wrote my book on the Black Regiment. It's written kind of like a textbook, because I researched and found sermon excerpts from these black preachers uh, from the the War of Independence and Mm. quotes and all these kinds of things that the pastors don't have to go do the research. They can just get the book, Mm -hmm. and they have it all right there at their fingertips. We're trying to equip pastors because we are convinced that if the pulpit does not re-engage, then my goodness, uh, this this whole thing is up. So so this this podcast, Riding the Storm Out, uh, was birthed out of that, and, and that's a way that we can regularly stay kind of in touch with these pastors all over the country. And when they come to our, uh, our boot camps, they um, are asked to sign what we call the muster roll. And when they do that, then they are added to the network of pastors, hmm. and they get all of the material that we do, all the sermons we preach, all the presentations, the PowerPoint, 
the sermon notes, anything they want. They have the freedom to use and make it their own, hmm. and they these podcasts. And so it's a way for us to try to help them come along beside us, hopefully to create a, a united front so we can, we can make a difference in this republic. I, I'm convinced that if the church would ever wake up mm-hmm. and really take a stand, we can push back That's right. all of these things. But, but if we don't wake up, we're going to see a, a similar thing like Germany did in the, the late 30s and early 40s when the church went silent there in Germany. And, of course, that allowed the Nazis to do what they did. And I don't think our listeners would think that's an exaggeration at this point, after seeing what's happened oh, no. in the last couple of years. Um, it, it's, it's an important—the uh, Liberty Pastors—first of all, libertypastors.com. Um, you guys, if you're listening, if you're new to this and you haven't heard about Liberty Pastors, get that link. Share that with your pastor. You, you, uh, Dan, you just had an, yeah. an event in Little Rock, Arkansas. How'd that go? We did. Oh, it was fantastic. Mike Huckabee and Sarah Huckabee Sanders— were a couple of our presenters. And of course, they're just delightful. Mike is one of us. He's mm-hmm. just a great guy, and he is the real deal. Mm. And Sarah, as you probably know, is running for governor, and I think she's going to become the next governor of Arkansas. Wow. And she is also the real deal. Right. And let me say to these guys, if they go to libertypastors.com, they can uh, participate in all of the conferences that we've been able to film and put on the website. And the most recent one was the Little Rock Conference just a few weeks ago. And so that's going to be the most up-to-date, and they can see all the presentations and hear all the speakers, including Mike and Sarah, all the teaching. Because what we do at these conferences, they're really, like I said, boot camps. We, we really want to train these guys. It's more than just a pep rally. We've, we've, I believe we've gone way past the pep rally stage. Mm. We need some meat. We need some nuts and bolts. And so what Paul and I do – and the speakers is we just get down, roll up our sleeves and get down into the to, to the nitty gritty of this. How do you do this? What about the church and the IRS? What about the Johnson Amendment? What about Romans 13? Well, is it separation of church and state written in our laws? And isn't it a violation of scripture and the laws if we mix politics and religion? We try to dispel all of these myths and then teach guys how to tackle these difficult subjects and do so in a biblical fashion that they can defend to, to some irate member that just doesn't want the church to engage, and can then they can be salt and light and make a difference. What's interesting, uh, we're blessed in our, of course, uh, Pastor Kevin Minsky of, of our church here in De Pere, Wisconsin. He attended one of the Liberty Pastors' uh, training camps, and um, it, since COVID, um, when a lot of churches were shut down and, and uh, whatever happened, by for whatever reason— um, our church has quadrupled in size, and part of it is his oh, preaching, yeah. uh, his preaching unashamed of the gospel, of course, but the whole counsel of God talking about these things, and yes. a correct application of Romans 13, which talks about submitting to the government. So, Dan, let's go there. You have a book. Let's do it. Unlimited Submission, question mark. And I want to just yeah. share a quote that you have right inside one of the first couple pages from Pastor Joseph Lathrop from 1787. He said this, Is there no case in which a people may resist government? Yes, there is one such case, and that is when rulers usurp a power oppressive to the people. Pastor Dan Fisher, what if if their intentions are good? What if they're doing it for the good of people to protect them from health issues? Well, interestingly enough, David, when Paul writes in Romans 13, and I chose Romans 13, the first five verses of that chapter, because that's kind of a go-to passage that pastors have been using for years to teach, that Paul said you have to submit to the government no matter what, and if you don't, you're sinning, and you're a rebel, and all this kind of stuff. Well, is that really what he said? And, and of course, the answer is no. That is not what he said. In fact, what Paul does is he defines a biblically proper government. Now, now, what what would be the characteristics of a biblically proper government? Because he calls it a ministry of God, and he says those who are practicing proper governance are ministers of God. Now, we would think that Trudeau in Canada was acting like a minister of God when he labeled truckers as terrorists and froze their bank accounts and canceled their insurance, or that or that Adolf Hitler was a minister of God. So obviously, to be a minister of God, you have to meet certain qualifications. And Paul gives them right there in Romans 13. He says, the kind of government that is proper under God is a government that 
punishes the evildoers mm. and protects and promotes those who do good. Mm. Now, what do you do if a government does the opposite of that? That's right. Well, in a republic, the government is not at the capital in D.C. The government's not in the capital of your state in Wisconsin or mine in Oklahoma. The government is the people. Mm. We simply delegate authority to the government, but they work for us. So we live under a very different kind of government than, let's say, Paul and the apostles lived under the Roman Empire, or you know, Jesus was facing with, with the Pharisees. We have a representative republic. And one of the things that Jesus said that most of us miss is he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and, not or, to God the things that are God's. Well, in America, Caesar is the people. So to obey Jesus' command to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, American Christians have to be engaged or we're disobeying that command Mm. because we are Caesar. Yes. We have lost that basic truth that the people run the government. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what I do, as you know, I, I give examples of times when godly men and women that all of us would recognize right in Scripture stood up against tyrants, and God not only allowed it, he applauded and blessed them for doing it. I'm thinking of the Hebrew midwives that refused to drown the Jewish baby boys, or Moses' parents, or Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the guys, the guys that I call the asbestos boys. They wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't burn. Or go into history with Esther. Or what about people in our own history? What about guys like Martin Luther King Jr., who mm-hmm. stood up against the Jim Crow laws and the discrimination All of these are examples of people who rightly divided the Word of God and believe that tyrants need to be resisted if there is the opportunity to do so. Now, if you live under a communist regime like uh, uh, Red China, there's not a whole lot of opportunity to change the government because you don't really have a voice in your government. You just have to function as a believer the best way you can and try to affect change slowly. But here in America— The government is the people, and so we have the opportunity to change the kind of government. In fact, in the Declaration of Independence, uh, Jefferson gives us three levels of concern. He says when government ceases to do what it's supposed to do, which is to protect the doers of good, punish the doers of evil, defend our rights from God, we either must alter it, that's DEFCON 3, we must abolish it and start over, that's DEFCON 2, or later on he says – We've waited too long. We're going to have to fight. You throw it off. That's DEFCON 1. That's right there in the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. Um, you also write, Pastor Dan Fisher, about uh, the, at the time of uh, Paul's letters, when Nero took over and Nero was in charge. Yeah. So I, I remember reading that in part of your book um, yesterday, and I don't remember what where it is. Can you provide that context? Because in that case, oh, sure. Nero was slaughtering Christians and the persecution was severe. Can you? So were we? Were Christians at that time? Did Paul tell them just submit? No, no. In fact, it's it's really interesting that preachers have always said, well, you know, Paul said submit, and Nero was the tyrant in charge of Rome, and he was slaughtering Christians left and right. Well, actually, when Paul wrote the Book of Romans, and most Christians agree that he wrote it sometime around fifty-seven to fifty-eight A.D. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that's important, and here's why that's important. Because Nero did not become the tyrant that we remember in history until about eight years after that. Seneca was still his counselor, and I think Seneca's influence kept Nero from becoming the monster. In fact, when Paul wrote the Book of Romans, Nero was doing a a fairly decent job of coexisting with this new sect of Christians. He didn't like it, but it was not until later— when Seneca passes from the scene, that Nero becomes the monster that we remember. So if you put the Book of Romans into that context, Paul is not saying submit to this monster named Nero. Paul was saying submit to proper authority. Christians don't need to be rebels. I'm certainly not encouraging people to just go around thumbing up their noses at any authority that they disagree with. But when the authority becomes tyrannous, and the leader becomes a tyrant, and people have, I think, the right, and as Jefferson says in the Declaration, the responsibility to stand up. And so in the book, I've given multiple examples straight out of the sermons from these guys in the 1800s and and the late 1700s 
sermons they preached uh, providing proof that the American church did all, not always read the uh, the book of Romans, especially chapter 13, the way we do today. And mm-hmm. if I may, just one example is Jonathan Mayhew. Yes. Now, some people may not have heard of Jonathan Mayhew, but Jonathan Mayhew was one of the preachers of the First Great Awakening. He was one of the leaders of that movement. And he preached a multi-part sermon on submission to government, and he preached it in eight, uh, 1749, and it went into the new year of 1750. Now, think about that. That's almost 20 years before the Declaration of Independence was, was written yes. and signed. Mm-hmm. And he was already preaching that Christians do not have an obligation to submit to tyrants. So this is not just something that Dan Fisher dreamed up because I'm kind of a rebel without a cause. <laughs> this is uh, this this is biblical. And, and I often wonder, you know, one of the greatest proponents of, of knuckling under no matter what has been John MacArthur. And, of course, I respect John. I think he's just incredible. I, I, I have most of his books in my library. But I've always believed that John is wrong on this subject. And I found it interesting that when California, through this COVID nonsense, started trying to shut his church down, I guess he decided unlimited submission actually has limits, and, and he stood up against government and won. Yes, yes. And actually, so, uh, Dan, he did that a couple years before, after the uh, uh, 2015 ruling by the Supreme Court on uh, same-sex marriage. He, exactly. He, within a week or two after that, he preached a sermon called, We Will Not Bow. And so, yes. yeah, he, he kind of changed his tune, not his theology necessarily, but his uh, view on responding to what a government, a secular government does. Um, we've got one more minute before we have to take a break, so I'm not going to ask another, okay. another question and let you go into your answer and cut you off. But I do want to talk about chapter 6 in your book when we come back, because we've got to go back from the, to the beginning. And some people, once you come to our shores here in North America— There's a question that some people are confused about, and that simply is, were our founding fathers and framers of the Constitution sinning? Did they sin when they declared their independence from England? So that's an interesting question I would love for you to hash out for us, uh, the answer to that when we come back. And by the way, friends, we're talking to Dan Fisher, uh, Black Robe Regiment. You can get his information at libertypastors.com or danfisherbrr.com. Dot com black robed regiment also well maybe we'll go back and review a little bit from a few years ago and get Dan's take on how the church in America failed the covid test more when we come back on stand up for the truth thank you for listening and sharing today's show via standupforthetruth.com/podcast now back to stand up for the truth here's david fiorazzo dan fisher's our guest one of my favorite patriot pastors and you know some people dan they don't like that term Patriot pastors. Let's go back to the beginning of America, because uh, that that term never came up until the 1700s, I believe. Um, right. So let's talk about this idea of you wrote a chapter about this. Were our founders and framers sinning when they declared their independence from England because they did not want to submit to the Church of England? Can you explain the context yeah. and answer that question for us? Well, I think it's also important to remember where the word patriot comes from. The, the, the root word that makes up patriot is the word patriarch. Mm. So the word patriot comes from patriarch. So when we hear the word patriarch, what do we think of? God. We think of Old Testament godly men yep. who led their people. We'd call them small states or countries. I mean, you take Abraham. Obviously, Abraham didn't just have his little nuclear family because he had over 300 warriors that he used to go to war to uh, to free his nephew Lot. Mm-hmm. So I guess then Abraham was sinning. I guess Moses was sinning. Uh, I guess Daniel was sinning. I guess Caleb was sinning. I guess Joshua was sinning. I mean, all of a sudden we start to destroy some of the greatest heroes in Scripture mm. because they didn't have this pacifist attitude of just roll over and let the bad guys do whatever they want to do. Mm. And I've often wondered, where would these preachers be if the generations preceding them had not stood up, these preachers would be criminals and having to pastor underground churches. Now, is that what we want? I mean, America has been exceptional only in that we've been the exception to the rule. Most people have never been able to live free like this. That's right. Do we want to throw that away because we become pacifists? 
there's a there's a story at the end of the uh, the Romans book about a preacher named Samuel Phillips Payson. He he pastored in Chelsea, uh, Massachusetts, which now is a part of Boston. And he he was against war and fighting the British until they fired on the citizens at Lexington and Concord. And then he gathered up men from his church and community and went out on the road leading the British back from Concord to Boston and fought them in what is called today Battle Road. So I guess he was sinning. I mean, good grief. You know, we just – it's ridiculous. Here's the other thing we need to remember. People that we – we talk about founding America. We normally go back to the period of time of the pilgrims. We need to remember that those pilgrims were called separatists. Now, a lot of people mistakenly think they were Puritans. Mm, yes. well, Puritans were people who believed that you could purify the Church of England. It becomes so decadent that they thought, well, if we just stay here and keep fighting, we'll purify the Church. The pilgrims that we celebrate every Thanksgiving said, no way, it's it's too far gone. Uh, we don't want to compromise our Christian convictions. So they became separatists, and they broke the laws to leave England to go to Holland. See, most folks don't even know that the, the pilgrims came to America from Holland. They think they came from England. That's right, yeah. But the truth is, years before, they had left England and had broken the laws to do so. And when they came to North America— where they landed, it was not where they intended to land, and so where they actually staked out their uh, plantation was really kind of in violation of the charter that they'd been given to come over here and, and settle in, in this new world. So now we're going to say that the pilgrims, because they were separatists, they were sinning. I mean, the list just becomes endless. And it's, it's also interesting to me, David, that there are many other scriptures that Paul wrote about submission, like for instance in Ephesians, he says, "Wives submit to husbands, children submit to parents, uh, congregations submit to your your spiritual elders." Well, why is it that we don't interpret those as being unlimited submission passages, mm-hmm. where you just do whatever the husband says? It doesn't matter. You do kids whatever the parents say, even if they tell you to go sell dope to help finance the family. Or, <laughs> you know, the pastor's become a heretic, but you know he's the one in authority, so you just got to knuckle under. No. So the only passage we interpret as unlimited is Romans 13. It's completely inconsistent. Yes. So so when we go to our, what I call the framers, that'd be the James Madisons, the, the Thomas Jeffersons, the, the Declaration of Independence people, if you read the last of the Declaration, there's a list of grievances that they write down. I think there are 27 of them. Every one of those lists, petitions that they had made to the king and to parliament— they didn't just flare up and say, you know, we're mad and we're going to create our own country. They had been working with the British for decades, trying to work out uh, a, a, a good relationship between the colonies and Mother England. In fact, in my, in my book on the Black Robe, I have excerpts from letters of some of these pastors who said, we didn't want to separate from England. We considered ourselves Englishmen. Hmm. But the king had violated the English Constitution, the English Bill of Rights. He was abusing his authority, and we petitioned him over and over and over and over, and all of our petitions were ignored. And it was either knuckle under to tyranny, and all of our churches would have become part of the Church of England, which was headed up by the king, or we stand up for truth. And if you read the pilgrims, in their Mayflower Compact, they tell you why they came here, hmm. to promote the gospel. They yes. were missionaries. Yes. So to me, that dispels all this nonsense that the framers were, the founders and the framers were sinning, and they were just rebels. They, they did everything they knew how to do mm-hmm. to keep from having to do what they eventually did. Right, as a last resort, really. And that's yes. that's kind of what, what we miss. We miss that point. So in America— So, so I, guess oh, go ahead. I guess the Ukrainians today ought to just roll over and let the, the, the Russian tanks just you know pave the road with them. That's no, interesting. If you and I lived in Ukraine, you know what we'd be doing, David? We'd be fighting the Russians. Yep, we'd be now, fighting. We don't have to get into that debate except to say— that's what we would all do. So what they're suggesting is that any tyrant, if they exert force, you've just got to knuckle under. 
just knuckle under. It doesn't matter the future of your children. Somebody comes to break into your house and, and intends to harm your wife and your children. Well, you can just sit there and pray for them while they molest your children and your wife and steal everything you have and then kill them. Hmm. It's ridiculous. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some people who call themselves uh, pacifists, they take it a little bit too far um, it, in, in an unbiblical sense. I want to ask you something about the sharing of the gospel and where we're at with what we would likely consider a demonic government, a demonic secular government in America who does not have the best interests of the people or the states uh, in mind. Um, There's a verse in Matthew 10 that I want you to clarify something, and you mentioned this in uh, chapter 3 of your book, uh, when um, they went from city to city and Jesus said, if someone does not receive or hear your words, in other words, if they don't receive the gospel— when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Yeah. And, and then he says it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day, <laughs> in the day of judgment, than for that yeah. city. Now, that's specifically to a town or city that you're going to to share the gospel. Does this apply to individuals when we just meet anyone, anywhere, and we share the gospel with them? Can you uh, b- clarify that for us? Sure. Well, Paul even uh, elaborates on that when he says, come out from among them and be separate. Hmm. So the, the concept is this. Believers cannot be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, obviously, we live in a world where there are a lot of unbelievers, and we can't just write them off as uh, out-of-bounds territory, because we're called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. By the way, it's kind of interesting. Jesus didn't say the salt of the church and the light of the church. Mm -hmm. He said the salt of the earth and the light of the world, which means the church needs to get out there and Mm -hmm. engage. So we couldn't win the lost if we just completely separated from them. So obviously we should offer love and compassion to these people and Definitely, we don't write people off because they reject the gospel the first time. But I do believe there comes a point when people's resistance is so rigid. You can see it in Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis, where God says, that's it. You're done. God did the same thing to Israel. He did it to his own people. You read through the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and over and over, God will say, you've done it. You've gone too far. You're done. I don't want to hear your prayers. I don't want to see your sacrifices. Judgment's coming on you. You need to prepare yourself. Over and over and over and over in Scripture, you you, you find this principle. We don't like that because today we live in this touchy-feely, seeker-sensitive, God just loves everybody. Well, he does love everyone in that Jesus died for the whole world. But, but resistance can become so rigid that we have no choice but to, to knock the dust off of our shoes and say, I'm done, I am finished. Well, I think that's the exact principle that the framers were using in 1776. Mm. And I'm thank, I thank God that they did. I've enjoyed a, a life of liberty that I would have never enjoyed uh, if I had lived under some parliamentary kind of governance 3,000 miles away. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, we're losing that yes. because the church has disengaged. We don't teach these things, and so we don't vote. Half of Christians don't even vote, and so you, you see the result. The result is pagans choose who's going to lead us, and pagans choose pagans. That's it's, right. It's, it's a very sad cycle. Yeah, millions, tens of millions of professing or some actual Christians don't even go to the polls to vote. And, right. and if just 2 two to 5% of Christians that don't vote now went to the polls, that could, I believe, even overcome all the massive voter fraud and cheating that takes, get, that takes place in every election. Yep. So, Pastor yeah, Dan, David, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The only way they're able to cheat is if an election is close. If an election is 2% or more in a direction, it's really difficult to cheat that much. Oh, I love that. And, th- and that 2 to 3% of Christians would turn the tide. Great point. Great point. So, Pastor Dan Fisher, in the last four minutes that we have with you, you've got a chapter called Federalism is the Answer. And yeah. I want to jump to the end of your book in the conclusion, and I shout a big amen to this. You say this, in Oklahoma, where I live, there are enough true Christians— and that's, we can talk about that another time yeah. we, we have in the past. What's true, what's false, what are proclaiming, what Steve Smotherman calls so-called Christians. If yeah. th- that there are enough true Christians that if the church 
shouted with one mighty voice, we could alter the course of our state and possibly start a wave that would sweep through other like-minded states, resulting, hopefully, in another great awakening. Give people hope here in these last couple minutes, Dan. Okay, well, here's here's what I think. Uh, a person doesn't have to be a born-again Christian to have a Christian, a general Christian mindset. There are a lot of people who aren't born again, but they still kind of have a biblical perspective. That's true of many of our framers. I don't know that all of them were born-again Christians. They mm-hmm. most likely were not. But they kind of had a biblical backdrop mm-hmm. for their minds. And so that's the way it is in Oklahoma and many other states. I believe that we have now come to the point where we are irreconcilably divided in this country. There are people that are far left. There are states that they have just sold out lock, stock, and barrel to this leftist, humanist, globalist mindset. Now, there are Christians in those states, but they don't control things. They're overwhelmed by these lefties. And I think it's time for the states that are like-minded to rise up I think Jefferson was implying that when he said that the the tree of liberty must frequently be watered by the blood of of tyrants and patriots. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not calling for a war of bullets and bombs and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But I think what Jefferson was saying is a republic's very fragile historically, and it depends on the people being engaged and being moral. And if if people become immoral— then the republic degenerates into an oligarchy. And you see this now happening in America. And so what we need to do is get like-minded states to rise up. Maybe we wouldn't have to break away like our framers did in 1776. Maybe if we would rise up, God would start something that would so rivet and shake this country Hmm. that uh, we could push back these lefties. But I'm telling you, David, I'm under the conviction that if we don't do this, They are going to take us down with them because they are convinced that all of this globalist, all this great reset, this whole COVID thing, this was just the preview of coming attractions. And I promise you what we saw will look like a Sunday school picnic during the COVID shutdowns and the the forced compliance. That's going to be like a Sunday school picnic to the next things that we see. Yes. And so like-minded states better band together. And it's kind of like Benjamin Franklin said once, if, if we don't hang together, we'll hang separately. And it is time for states where the people want liberty, where they want individual value, they believe rights come from God to stand together. If we do that, God says in his Old Testament that if my people who are called by my name, you know the rest of the verse, mm-hmm. then God will come in. And even though that was written to Israel, I think it applies to all people. So there's always hope. We never give up. But we may have to to admit certain realities. Mm-hmm. It could be that states like Massachusetts and Vermont and Rhode Island and California and the state of Washington and Oregon, they may be so far gone to the left that we can no longer live under the same governance style That's right. that they do. Because they want to force you under their thumb. Yep. Uh, New York and California are doing that uh, right now. Dan Fisher, uh, thank you so much for your time. I want to encourage you guys to check out the books if you haven't. Unlimited Submission and then Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment. You can go to danfisherbrr.com. Brother, thank you. God bless you. Say hi to Paul for us. Thank you. God bless you, brother. All right. Tomorrow, Alex Newman, Liberty Sentinel, and the New American and the Newman Report. Jim Simpson on Wednesday. Dr. Andy Woods Thursday. Dr. James Taylor on Friday upcoming guests. Thank you guys. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.